Hey everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Creative Nature Podcast. I'm really happy to be back. It's been many more weeks than I meant it to be um, since my last episode here. I currently have this backlog of really beautiful conversations with people and I feel not great about withholding them from the world basically. But um, July just kind of flew by. I had a chance to go back to Germany for the first time in years really since before the pandemic and that was amazing and it was also a lot. I was traveling for the first time using a walking frame and I sadly got COVID so I'm currently recovering from that and it feels surreal I have to say to have avoided it for so long and to be so careful and then to suddenly see the second stripe kind of come up on the test and I think I've been lucky, my symptoms are really veining now, but I do feel just anxious about this increased tiredness, being someone who's already living with disabilities and um, yeah, the heaviness of maybe also knowing that this is possibly not my last infection because we're not anywhere near through the pandemic and there's still more variants developing as we speak and yeah (laughs) but I didn't mean to be such a downer like I said I feel very lucky in lots of ways I'm really glad I got to make some beautiful memories with loved ones back home and um, I'm really happy to be with my dogs again and to root down here for the rest of the summer taking it easy really kind of rethinking what a summer is and can be trying to resist these ideas of I should you know have these adventures and uh, go on all these dates and do all these things when that's just not what I need this year and that's okay. Um, Just a few announcements before I share more about this episode. I you may have heard I'm offering queer spirit sessions the first Sunday each month the last one was at the beginning of, the, of July, it was the first one, and I really loved it. It was so wonderful coming together with other queers to practice in our own way and explore spirituality. So it's a 45-minute session, very sweet and simple. I just open with a grounding for everyone, and then we each quietly practice in our own way for 20 minutes, and then we share what that's like and what's kind of coming up in our spirituality at that time. So the next one is coming up this Sunday. You can join us for free. I'll link to that in the show notes and you'd be super welcome if you feel like that is something you would enjoy. Otherwise, you can still and always join the weekly Creative Space sessions. Um, I'll link to that too. It's on a sliding scale. We would love to have you. It's a wonderful way to deepen into your creative practice and commit to that being a more regular thing. And now I'm going to tell you about this episode. Um, This is my second interview with Lara Valeda Vesta, who I've been considering, like, how do I say this? Maybe like a low-key teacher for many years. I've um, gotten to know her work before I moved to Scotland. So that would have been four or five years ago. And I have engaged with her work in the slow and steady way, which I really appreciate. 
and just really receive so much inspiration and support from the way that she shares her practice and her stories and ideas and it's always good to be with other people in her community. We talked about all kinds of things but I think a thread in our conversation was this idea of building spiritual sovereignty um, and self-trust and also relating to myth and archetype through difficult times um, through illness and disability and and also expanding what ancestral practice can be in a really culturally respectful and grounded and meaningful way. So I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did. Please support Lara's work if you can. Um, please leave a review if you can for the podcast. That's always super welcome and helpful. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to reconnect. I know I'm just speaking into my mic right now. But there is a connection, you know, whether it is uh, asynchronous or not, doesn't really actually matter. I don't think we always have to be live, but I'm just really happy to finally send another episode your way and to get back into my podcasting groove. So thank you so much for being here. Hello everyone, I am so, so excited to have a returning guest today, which is Lara Lida Vesta, and we just had such a lovely chat and a giggle, and we, we've known each other for years, she's been on the podcast before, and I just appreciate her work on so many levels, and as I was preparing, you know, kind of thinking about what I would say in the intro, I reflected on how I've learned from Lara, and it's really kind of magical. I, there are so many fragments that come to me, but I can't tell you this one thing or this one memory or this one cohesive story. And I think that's really part of Lara's magic because it's very, very deep and inviting and warm and yet so accessible. Um, Lara has so many beautiful thoughts about disability that have really helped me um, I've become more disabled a year ago after an accident. And in this time, I've so often thought about Lara's reflections. And yeah, it just really grounded me. I, I have no words um, as to how much that meant to me. And I'm going to stop waffling now. But Lara, <laughs> thank you so much for being here and for spending some time together. I'm really excited to talk to you. Oh, Yaro, I'm so happy to be here with you. And thank you for that wonderful introduction that just... Oh, I love it. <laughs> so the first question I like to ask, as you know, uh, the podcast changed name. It's called Creative Nature now. So I like to ask people what their creative nature is. And you can take that in any direction you like. You could talk to speak to your practice at the moment to maybe what you understand to be your creative essence as a person or anything else that you want to share. Mm, creative nature. Well, that's, that's what I am. I am creative nature. I have found that in all parts of my life, from becoming a mother, working full time, becoming disabled, being extremely ill, um, recovering, and then going through these perpetual myth cycles of embodied challenge that the one thing that really sustains me is 
making and and making in any form. I love to make visual art, but sometimes I can't. Sometimes I'm not able to. Um, I've turned to stories and storytelling, myth telling in particular as a way to channel that creative possibility. Um, I am a writer, but I'm not always able to write either. I love to make with my hands, handcrafts, um, but I'm not always able to do that. So really creative nature is about finding some way to be a channel in whatever place I'm in physically, which has been a big part of this path and journey and recognizing that even a little bit of creative outlet for me helps root me into the reality of my existence, which I see as making an offering to the world every day, just having something that I can offer up. Um, so that is, that is my creative nature is trying to make an offering of my life through some sort of expression, even when I'm not able to do very much. Ooh, yes. <laughs> I cannot believe how you just managed to beautifully simplify something that is so big and complex, but really at the end of the day, right? That's just what it's about being of service and making an offering in the best way we can. And that makes me feel so peaceful. So thank you. Oh, good. You're welcome. So my next question is, um, potentially heavy I don't know could again go in many different directions but I would love to hear a little bit about what the pandemic has been like for you and what's keeping you steady at the moment for me it feels really nice to be in kind of regular conversations of just acknowledgement of what's happening and making space for the complexity of this uh, we're recording this in January 2022 so we're heading the third year and it's just hard, especially for disabled people. And so I really want to give more voice to the experiences of people who have already been sick before the pandemic. And I would love to hear more about what it's been like for you. Oh, it's been um, incredibly challenging as it has been for everyone. Um, I was actually really well going into the pandemic for the first time in about a decade. I had a year in 2019 where I was extremely healthy. And um, then in April of 2020, I got COVID <laughs> and, um, and had long COVID symptoms for um, a good nine months and was recovering from that. But my immune system works it's just wonky. So I have myalgic encephalomyelitis and my doctor thinks that that is an overactive immune system. So I catch a virus and then the body doesn't work effectively to get rid of the virus. And COVID was really bizarre. And of course, at that time, we didn't know a lot about it. Um, so, and then I, then I was vaccinated in 2021 and I had a really bad allergic, very rare allergic reaction to the vaccine that caused me to have um, inflammation, arthritic inflammation for uh, about another nine months. So I'm going in these sacred cycles of nine, these like gestation and birthing cycles with these two pandemic related 
illnesses. Um, in the meantime, I have children that are becoming adults and I have a partner and I have 91 year old grandparents that I love very much who are extremely vulnerable. And, and that's been really challenging. Of course, the distance from family, um, in spite of my vaccine reaction, I uh, do not have COVID antibodies. So I also feel very vulnerable. And I just found out that I have other uh, health issues caused by COVID. Um, my lungs have some damage and my heart is, I'm under evaluation for some heart issues. So like significant organ issues. Um, so those things have altered, you know, so many people are able to kind of move back into some semblance, even though we're, you know, we're dealing with Omicron, people who are vaccinated and boosted, I know in my communities feel pretty safe, but I don't feel safe. Um, and I know a lot of other people with chronic illnesses and disabilities and um, magical immune systems don't feel safe. And it's hard to know how to protect ourselves. So the pandemic for me has been an ongoing health journey, which I, um, I actually felt strangely prepared for by my previous health journey. So the things that are sustaining me now are the things that have been sustaining me through severe ME-CFS, um, which are daily ritual practice, time outside in nature. I just shared with you, Yaro, that I actually started um, riding horses again for the first time in about 20 years. Um, very small, slow ways, but it is outdoors and it is helping my brain, which has quite a bit of damage from long-term neuroinflammation. So that's really wonderful. And just remembering that the things that I love so much are always here and available, even in small ways, which that's the earth, that's my family. And um, I long for community, but we build these global communities now, and I'm very grateful for those, my community of patrons like you and, um, and some of the online communities that I've been able to become a part of have been sustaining. And I feel like that is a gift of this pandemic is there's a lot of folks that are connecting in these other web weaving ways that maybe weren't there before because, you know, life was um, a little bit structured differently. So that's been, that's been quite wonderful, but it is, I don't know anyone for whom this time has been easy. Everyone is really stretched right now. I'm just acknowledging that and it's been hard. Yeah, it really has been. And there's so much there that I want to circle back on in what you just said. Firstly, I'm really sorry you had a bad reaction and I'm aware also of the complexity around vaccination and how hard it is to say that, you know, mm -hmm. um, it, that's really difficult. And I'm really sorry to hear also that you don't have antibodies. And I relate to this feeling of community members moving forward. And of course, I want that for them. I want people to feel safe, um, but for different reasons, I also... Like last summer, for example, I had another surgery. Um, so I was homebound again. And that was a time in the UK where, where things felt a little bit safer. And my friends would start, you know, go out again and be at the beach. And I 
just the heaviness of missing out on that and going back into winter and not having had a bit of a break of in the isolation if that mm-hmm. it's just hard it's just a long time and it's hard and I also agree I feel very lucky to be part of beautiful online spaces and I guess finding a bit more rhythm around technology and like what, what I want from it and what a good healthy engagement is with it for me um so much to learn yeah yes absolutely I oh that is a long time missing out there was like a little glimmer in the summer wasn't there where everything seemed a bit lighter I hugged my parents and my grandparents for the first time in a year this last summer and that was really that was really wonderful. I, I do appreciate you mentioning that about vaccination. I, I want to say too, I, I am always reluctant to mention my reaction. I know there's a lot of folks out there that, um, that struggle with uh, this issue, but I am very much in favor of vaccination. I'm the only member of my entire extended family who had any sort of issue on the other side. I've heard from a lot of people with similar immune systems who also had, you know, um, a rare or strange reaction. So it, it isn't uncommon and simultaneously, this is really important. So I just want to put that out there because I do feel really vulnerable when I talk about it. And at the same time, it's part of my story. Um, you know, I couldn't write or draw for much of last year, which is like, it's really hard for me to not have those things accessible. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. <clears throat> Thank you for saying that. Um, which also beautifully leads me to my next question. And again, you can take this any way you like. But I'm wondering, what is grief teaching you at the moment? Oh, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh. Oh, that just went right into my chest. Um, Grief. I always think about a long, long time ago, I listened to, uh, uh, I think it was maybe a storyteller talking about the inverse of grief being joy and how they're the same. And I do think that sometimes I think that grief, um, grief makes me remember, remember my joy. Um, you know, the grief that I feel, for example, and Yaro, you know this, I've talked about this on my Patreon and um, I was a university professor and I have a lot of grief around not being able to do that work anymore. Um, and that grief, that loss of self-identity, status, uh, professionalism, community, collegiality, support. I think many people can relate to that right now as the pandemic has turned us on our head in so many ways and taken away things that we thought were going to be part of our path. Um, But on the other side of that, I found a tremendous amount of joy. And I realized the other day, I'm actually living the life that I very much wanted to live, but that I didn't think was possible, which is I'm a writer and an artist. <laughs> and I, 
I create <laughs> like most of the time that's what I'm doing and um, yes I interact with with people and I have classes and things but but that the demands of academia are not present in the same way and so I feel very fortunate simultaneous to that loss which is there it's ever present but there's also things here in this present that I that I really value and that I I feel like magically I've been brought here yeah <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense and I really see you doing that you have created such a beautiful practice for yourself and you serve so many people and yeah it's so rich isn't it it's beautiful um I want to in in like in the direction of grief ask you another thing but the funny thing is that I don't really know what I'm asking because I don't remember <laughs> but, but once upon a time you shared the story about this witch and I think it was Scandinavian story but I really can't be sure and there was something about being uh, trice burned that really stayed with me as I just shared with you before we start recording um, can you maybe tell us that story if you remember it and because I feel like there's a reason that I have this memory <laughs> it is important yes yes there is a reason you have that memory that is the story of Golvig and Golvig, you are very right in remembering that it is a, a Northern European story. Um, it's a story that appears in the Vuluspa, which is the sayings of the wand-wed witch. Um, it is a narrative that's told by this really ancient being who is a seer and a diviner. And she kind of relates all of these tales from the beginning of time. And so she tells the story of Golvig and she is talking about the first war that ever existed in the world. And during that war, this being, goddess, venerated mythic ancestor, Golvig, whose name means gold drink, like a gold beverage, um, she is kidnapped. She is presumed to be one of the Vanir, the earth-based um, beings, and she's kidnapped by the Aesir and hoisted on spears and burned three times. And it actually says, thrice burn, thrice born, often, repeatedly, still she lives. So three times she's burned by this warring group and three times she is reborn. And she lives on, but she's changed by that initiation. That is a deep initiation, right? To be hoisted on spears and burned in the hall of this faction of divinities and then she gets a new name, which is Heave. And Heave in um, Old Icelandic means like bright, shining, like night sky, this beautiful illumination. So the gold drink that she once was has now fused within her through this annealing of the burning. And 
And then she gets a new role too. The poem actually says that she goes from house to house. She travels as a vulva, as that wand wed wise witch, this diviner. And it says that she crafts prophecy and knowledge with her magic staff, which that is what the vulva is, is the staff bearer, the wand bearer. And she makes this specific kind of magic, this enchantment savior and teaches it to sick women. Um, the word describing the women is actually ilrar, which is often translated as evil, but it is the root of the word ill, which we know to be sick. So I choose to interpret it as sick women that because she went through this incredible initiation, Golvik then becomes the carrier of this staff, this wisdom, this really specific feminine knowledge that then she is able to offer to others as she wanders the world. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Tara, you're such an amazing storyteller and I'm so grateful. I feel like I had a, just had like a special personal storytelling. <laughs> oh, and I'm so excited to share this with everyone listening. Um, that is really good medicine, isn't it? What a beautiful story. Yeah. Such powerful medicine. When I came upon that story the first time, um, I just, I knew that it was a story that I needed to understand my own illness, <laughs> to understand the challenges that I was facing. And of course my illness is inflammatory. So I took it very literally, like mm -hmm. literally I was being initiated through this, this inflammatory disease. And, um, and we can take from that survival means change. So when we survive our initiations, which the thing about a death transition is oftentimes we don't think we're going to survive. You know, mm -hmm. if you're, if you're in the midst of a really powerful initiation, you are become completely dissolved. Mm -hmm. And yet when we survive, we change and Golvig teaches us how we can change. We can take those things that were extrinsic and make them intrinsic to us they become a part of us we can stand in our power and claim our magic and then we can offer that path to others mm. yes yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly yeah so speaking about your wand and your magic <laughs> have somehow I don't know how you did it but you um, and I would love to hear but you've written another book right yes 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 do you want to tell us more about that what was the process like how did it come through you how did you make it happen oh that's such a perfect segue because the story of the goddess Golvig is in the book it's wild soul runes reawakening the ancestral feminine and 
The concept of the book came from a vision of the runes existing in the well of the Norns, the runes being these whispered secrets that I see as pieces of the web of life or the web of weird, the web of fate that connects everything. Um, and the Norns being, of course, those ancient guardian giantesses from the beginning of time. They're also talked about in the Voluspa and really connecting the feminine, these feminine pieces from ancient history has been such a love of mine because so many scholars, especially from the 19th century um, in their translations and in their, their investigations tended to kind of either stereotype or relegate the feminine to you know, um, inconsequential <laughs> in the myths or they would like hypersexualize um, the mythology. But what we see in these ancient stories, the story of Golvig is a story of, of war, yes, and really horrible transformation through challenge, but it's also a story of exchange and coming to terms with different cosmologies in that the war is resolved by an exchange of um, hostages through marriage between these two warring factions and this teaching of feminine magic between the two factions too. So they go on to become one together, which is really powerful. And that's not something that's talked about much. Um, but the book began with those seed stories, the stories of the origin of the runes in the well of the Norns, which is a, a union story between the qualities of the masculine in the sacrificial god, which is Odin, who reaches into the well of the Norns and pulls out, takes up or learns the runes from the Norns. Um, and I had this thought that there might be more to that too. So often the runes are attributed to Odin only. And I started to see this union as being really important. And then I decided to develop a 33 week long practice <coughs> um, to investigate each rune individually, not just the elder Futhark runes, which are the ones that people tend to talk about but the Anglo-Northumbrian runes and uh, went through that practice with some folks in 2017 when I was really sick. Um, it was very casual and it was gnosis-based. So really about us working with the runes, um, sitting with them in inquiry. And then somewhere along the line, I decided to start translating the poems. The rune poems are a place where we have information in writing about each of the runes and we tend to just look at the same translations over and over again and again they were done mostly by men um, mostly in the 19th century the ones that are in the common domain and when I started exploring the runes in translation myself which I'm not I don't um, you know speak any ancient Germanic languages, but I really wanted to at least try what I call direct translation, which is just looking the words up and seeing what comes. And that was a revelation for me. So those were the seeds of the book, this idea of the feminine being this, these threads in history that we really need to pull forward and examine when we start looking at 
any spiritual cosmology. And then um, this idea of, of gnosis and direct translation and seeking our own information as we come into relationship with any of these beings. And that, that became the book. Wow, again, wow. <laughs> it's so cool. And I, I think something in essence that I always appreciate about your work so much is the emphasis of each of us finding our own access points and interpretations and that the meaning making can be something that we do ourselves. Because I think even as people who have been critical of capitalism for a long time, who have been nurturing and deepening our own practices for many years, I and myself, when I'm struggling in life for whatever reason, still sometimes see the urge of like, can I just go to someone and can they just tell me? Or yes. can, you know, <laughs> or can I just buy this thing and put it on my altar and that will be the thing that makes the difference? And it's just, there's just no other way of saying that is not how it works, right? We have right. to find our own ways of, of, you know, doing the work. And yeah, I just really appreciate that you work so hard to create those spaces where people can figure out what is accessible to them and how they can, you know, create a practice that is sustainable to them. And that means that they can do this work for themselves and they can find their own answers. That's yeah, it's, it's complicated. I, I just have this sense of swimming against this dream and how exhausting that can be, but it's just the right direction to swim in, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It is it, you know, swimming in that direction. I was just talking with my partner about this last night because, um, because this idea that you're talking about of, of spiritual sovereignty, of being whole in yourself spiritually, and, and yet you speak so beautifully to this desire that we all have for authority. We're like, please just tell me what to do. <laughs> just, I'm so, I'm so tired. And we're, and many of us are lonely in our spirituality. Um, problem with that desperate need that we have, which I have it very much in me too. And I, like you said, when I'm vulnerable, that's what I want. I just want it to be simple and easy. However, <laughs> this is, um, this path is simple. It's not easy, but it is simple in that it is about relationship and relationship is not easy, but relationship is beautiful and it's individual. Um, and that doesn't mean that when we come together in collective, we don't enrich each other immensely with our sharing because we absolutely do. That's why I love doing Gnosis-based work and especially with you know, some sort of historical connectivity. It allows for such diversity in experiences, such diversity in people's lineages. You know, I always share, I work with my lineages. I have multiple, um, lineages that I am from and that I work with directly. And then I love having people come in who have just very different backgrounds from me. And the weaving is so powerful and beautiful. But without that sovereign core, we're always developing dependency on others. And I don't know about you, Yara, but I just don't trust a lot of people in the realms of 
well, really any, any spirituality, it's hard for me to trust others um, the, with the intersection of spirituality and capitalism. Um, there's so much room for exploitation. And I know many of us have been um, led astray along the way. And, and then the alternative, of course, is historical religion, which um, has its own issues and beauties too. But the challenge for me has been finding this core of, okay, my ancestors had these lived spiritualities that were in direct relationship with their, their ancestors. And I'm, I'm never talking just about blood ancestors here either, because I see places as ancestors, plants as ancestors, animals as ancestors, the elements as ancestors, having relationship with where you are and where you're from. Um, I think it really helps us to feel whole. And, and from there, we are able to listen to what's being asked of us, which that doesn't mean we hear it clearly all the time. I surely don't. I get, I was just totally yanked off course a couple of months ago and that happens on a regular basis. I really get upside down and I don't know what I'm doing anymore but then just coming back to the basics of it's the land and it's my people and it's practice and then it's okay. Oh gosh, can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> it's the land, it's the people, the practice, and then it's okay. Yes. <laughs> Great. Yes. That's, that's what I needed. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Um, there's something else I want to touch on before we close. And I'm again, unsure exactly what I'm getting at, but I feel like you'll get what I mean, probably. So I, basically I was future tripping just now. It's like, oh my gosh, I love this conversation. I'm so excited to share it. What am I going to name the episode? And I was like, hmm, maybe it's going to be uh, disability as initiation, which I know you talk about a lot and which for me has been a really helpful concept, but there's definitely been moments where I, well, for example, after my accident, a lot of people were like, you know, maybe this will happen or maybe it will become an okay in this way, or maybe you'll just have another surgery and then it'll be fixed. Mm. And I was like, actually, I don't think so. And I have only, you know, known the extent to which this is permanent now for a few months. And I absolutely hold the possibility of infinite healing for each of us but sometimes I need to be allowed to be with the grief of what the situation is and what my limitations are. And that's very uncomfortable for people. And the other thing that I think is important is that I get to decide when I'm ready to change a narrative or reframe something, right? Mm. I think that really has to come from within. And it's so disempowering when other people come in and try to nudge you in that direction when you're just not ready or when it's just not appropriate for whatever reason. And I am just really appreciating how you are offering the possibility of, you know, how powerful storytelling can be and how we can do that for ourselves, but without force. And so, yeah, I wonder if you can say a little more about how you do that because it's great. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um. Oh, I don't know. 
Yarrow? I don't know how I do that. I think I, I don't like being told what to do ever. And I totally agree with you. Um, I had a, a colleague from my um, MFA program. I went to speak with her when I became really ill. I was looking for a place to plug into something, you know, maybe, maybe just getting a little writing gig or something that could be sustaining. And, and she started to reframe my story as, as uh, kind of like a television makeover show. She's like, oh, you could totally sell that. Everybody loves an after, she says. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> I'm still in this. I'm sick. I'm sitting here. You know, it took everything to, to go and visit her that day. And of course, I didn't look, I don't look ill. It's hard to tell what I, when I'm really sick um, it, because I, it's invisible. So um, so I agree with you that reframing, um, it has to come from within. And one of the things that I talk about with rites of passage, these major life transformations is that they are nonlinear and they are uh, multiple. So you can be in multiple nonlinear phases of a rite of passage at the same time. And that is often the case where you're concluding one aspect of your transformation, but just beginning another. And that's why they're so hard to integrate because you won't know when you're ready to claim that new status and name or when you were ready to acknowledge what has happened to you until you're ready. And that can take years. It's not instantaneous. It might take a lifetime to really integrate a big passage. And that perpetual nature when everybody loves an after, everybody wants to look back and reflect. We're doing that with the pandemic right now. Like we wanna be done. And there is no done with a rite of passage. There's only the point where you're ready to be acknowledged in your change by your community. And I think that knowing that for myself helps me be able to hold others in their perpetuity where it's like, we're all still changing. We're all still transforming. There is no done. It's just the journey. It's not over. It's just the path. And that is very frustrating in a linear culture that just wants to like measure you and, and have you conclude and, and then put you away in your nice little box. People got so frustrated with me when I healed and I was like, I'm healed. And everybody was celebrating because it was the after, right? And then I got sick and then I've just been sick. And then people start to tell you these horrible things like, oh, you're creating this or, oh, you know, maybe you just need to focus on the positive or, oh, you're, you know, you've met your shadow and now you need to let it go. Like really bizarre discomforts we have with this actually quite beautiful, dark passage that is the underworld journey. It is uncomfortable and it is painful and it is also essential. So I don't know if that's any answer, Yaro. That's a lot of like rambling around, but that I think is a good demo of the circuitous nature of these passages that we're all in and how just holding each other exactly as we are I think is the real medicine that we all need. Yeah, no, that is, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to get to without knowing. 
Yeah, and it's also a beautiful segue because I want to ask you what you're currently offering and where people can find you. And as you were just speaking to the Underworld story, I want to say that I've been to a guided journey with you in the autumn and it was so beautiful and just incredible. So yeah, just before you, <laughs> I want to preface <laughs> me asking what you're currently offering by saying whatever it is it's so cool I know it (laughs) (laughs) thank you that that journey is really special that was the hell road journey and I have committed to offering that every year at Samhain um as health willing always but um I am currently in uh the dark goddess project which is a rite of passage process it has multiple levels so for folks who are patrons um there's the option of of joining us in a year of ceremony where every year at the quarter and cross quarter days I'm offering uh, folklore and ceremonial information for people to structure a practice around these sacred times in the year Um, And then for, I have a a patron level called the Coven Invisible and they get all of the curriculum that I'm creating for the Dark Goddess Project, which is non-linear, but it is about death transitions and times of change and learning about rites of passage and then really integrating your own rite of passage, whatever it is, it can be one from long ago. Many of us haven't integrated our rite of passage into adulthood. (laughs) we have a lot of tendrils around us um, or divorce or parenthood. So that has been, it's a sneaky way for me to actually finish a book that I've been writing for about five years, which is the the Dark Goddess book. Um, I wrote a book um, called the Moon Divas Guidebook, which is about self-care in times of transition. And this book is about difficult transitions, which I call death transitions, um, the really hard ones um, that I had not quite yet undergone uh, during the writing of the Moon Divas guidebook. So uh, this book is a little different. So that is ongoing. I also have, um, thanks to you, Yarrow, uh, a Mighty Network, the Wild Soul School community. Um, For folks who take classes of mine, I have some classes at the Wild Soul School in runes and ritual practice and um, ancestral connection. And all of those are available for folks who are coven members or you can purchase them as a one-off. And um, also I offer scholarships for anyone who needs them. So there's information about that at the Wild Soul School. And yeah, we have an ongoing nonlinear rune practice too. We're walking through the Wild Soul Runes book. It's a community practice. So it's hosted by um, volunteers and I participate and it's really fun and we meet every week. Um, and that is available for really anyone who wants it. And there's information about that on my website and also at the Wild Soul School and on my Patreon. Thank you. I'll link to that in the show notes as well in case people didn't catch it. But Lara, I'm so grateful for this conversation. It was so beautiful. It was exactly what I needed. It's exactly what I want to share. And I just love you and your work so much. And it is an absolute honor to talk to you. Oh, I love you too, Yaro. And your work is so inspiring for me. I'm very grateful for this connection. And thank you. 
for the opportunity. I love this conversation too. Mm, thank you.